at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, week before the weird early recruiting uh, day week. Which uh, has kind of quickly elevated into actual National Signing Day. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be, I mean, it seems like anyone who's not really wavering um, plans on committing, uh, I don't know about us specifically, but plans on, like, for nationally, it seems like most guys are probably going to send a sign on the dotted line. Uh, I've seen a couple bigger guys who are going to wait till February, but um, it definitely seems like it's going to be the, the bigger of the two, um, which is interesting because it kind of, like, we, we knew it was happening, but it wasn't like really for, uh, you know pushed until the last couple of weeks when a lot of the recruiting the post the post regular season recruiting stuff has gone on and then it's like oh this is gonna be a this is gonna be a busy busy couple of days here yeah and like a busy busy couple of days in the middle of the holiday season and you know what at some point too I feel like these recruits would rather just get on with deciding where they were gonna go and get on with their holiday season I think a lot of recruits by the end of the process are pretty exhausted by it all and all the constant I- selling. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. I get, I get, I totally get. Like, if you still have to make up your your mind, I think that's uh, you should take all the time you need. If you have to drag it out into April or May, it's a big deal. So, like, a couple of guys do that, and and that's fine. Um, but for most of these guys, who you know, they're pretty set in a school. Um, obviously, some flip every year, but uh, you would think like, hey, let me just get this over with, so I don't have to hear from you know random coach X who happened to have a, a wide receiver spot pop up today, and they didn't really want me at any point during this whole thing, but now they're telling me they're like, you know, they want me to to come, and you know, who knows if I'll even play for them. You know, I can imagine that gets really exhausting, and be able to cut two months of it out um, is pretty, uh, it, you know, it's it is an advantage. So uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised that this is going to it's seemingly overtake uh, the February signing day as much as it is because usually, you know, there are guys who want to drag it out. But I think a lot of those guys like like the pomp and circumstance of committing on signing day, uh, so they might not even really need the, the extra months. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, the pomp and circumstance of it, you can still potentially have that pomp and circumstance from the December 20th to 22nd time frame. Um, in general, I, I know we talked about this when uh, the early signing day was first passed. Uh, this seems like a big advantage for schools like Syracuse, and and obviously us in particular with, you know, keeping our coach this off season. Obviously, a big leg up, especially against the teams that we normally recruit against. Uh, the fact that you know most players aren't really going to be there in the dead of winter is, I think, a big plus for us. Not that like they don't know what snows in Syracuse, but obviously, you know, the 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 late December into like early February Syracuse winter is much different than the early December. Uh, Syracuse winter um, most years Um, so obviously bringing kids in from Florida Texas wherever um, obviously helps to have them in a little bit milder winter weather um, versus again those uh, those blizzard conditions Uh, also think in general you know teams like SU that that have an ability to identify talent early um, I think this puts a premium on that sort of you know faith um, and, and sort of you know belief from the beginning uh, and like like you were alluding to earlier, like you know, not having like an Ohio State or or a Penn State or Alabama going up. Oh, well, now we have a wide receiver spot open, so let's just go offer this kid that Syracuse had, you know, verbal for the last six months. Um, definitely changes a lot of that conversation, um, and does really help out SU and a lot of other schools in that kind of uh, you know bottom third of the Power Five uh, situation. Yeah, it's definitely a big advantage for Syracuse, especially this year. I mean, it's actually a great year for it to happen um, for SU specifically because this would probably end up, unless something crazy happens, um, which seems less and less likely as we get closer to this early signing day, um, this is going to be the best class we've had a couple in, like, decades. The, in like the internet era. Going back, I'd say like probably 2007, 08, 09 is like where when those sites really started to become big, and this is easily the best class, I think, in that uh, span of time going back to, what, four head coaches back into the Coach P years. So, 
But, like, I can imagine a situation where a guy like Tyrone Sampson, who, to his credit, has been... Um, it, it, he doesn't seem to have wavered, like, one one iota at all during this process, and he's our, our biggest recruit. Um, he's a, from Detroit. Imagine, you know, Michigan loses a, a center commit to, you know, Ohio State or something, and they just go gung-ho on him. Now, you know, it seems like he's not overtures from big schools like that, but and he hasn't wavered. But, you know, you could see a situation where a Detroit kid gets, you know, the, the full the full Monty from Jim Harbaugh for a month down the stretch, and he, you know, might flip. This makes it, I'm assuming, I think he's a guy who's going to sign in December. Yeah. Um, for those kids, like, this makes that um, way less of a, you know, this, it's not going to happen. Um, and also it protects the kids who are at the back end of these recruiting classes who you see so many of them um, with, you know, they, they uh, end up getting cut from the classes and, and, you know, you see them decommit and you're like, oh, why would this kid leave this class when he, you know, this is clearly his best offer. A lot of the time that comes from the coaches, like, basically trying to push them out of the class saying, hey, um, so you might not actually have as much playing time you get here. We, you know, recommend that you look elsewhere or they'll just out and out rescind the offer, which is, you know, a shitty thing to do, but it is what it is. Um, so it protects those kids who most of that, you know, chicanery would happen in January and even like in the week up uh, to the February signing day. So right. there are definitely pros and cons. It's not right for everyone. Um, but I think for, for a program like Syracuse, which is um, more of the the hunted than the hunter in a lot of these situations. And then obviously Syracuse ends up going down the list with, um, you know, into like the top AAC schools and taking guys from them. It protects like all those schools from the bottom up. So I think it's a pretty, I think it's a good thing. I think eventually you'll see it more even out uh, as kids kind of learn the new, uh, you know, how things work. Um, I think coaches are definitely pressuring kids to sign early. What I will feel bad about, which I, I believe it was Greg, uh, Greg McElroy predicted the other day on ESPN um, you'll often see a lot of uh, assistant coaching turnover right after signing day. He said that he thinks that December 21st, the day after the December signing day, is going to be the craziest day of assistant coaches getting fired of all time. And that is a thing that happens. It's 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 gross. Uh, but head coaches will leave staff members in place that he knows he, that they know they're going to fire until the second that their recruits sign, and then they let them go. I don't think that's going to happen at Syracuse. It seems like we're probably going to keep the staff in, intact. Um, for better or worse, yeah, I don't uh, think we're gonna keep. I don't think we're gonna make any active changes. Doesn't mean the changes no. can't happen, but I, I don't. I don't see anybody going anywhere. I think our best recruiters are on the defensive end. The defense hasn't really looked that great. The way the staff is formulated is interesting because the best recruiters are definitely on the defensive end when this is like clearly an offensive. Uh, my like you know defense has to be 50, you know fifty percent of it, but the offense is clearly like the the forward facing part of the program. And Babers is obviously an offensive guy, but Nick Monroe is, is I mean, at least to my knowledge, uh, clearly the number one recruiter on the staff. And the DBs, while they made improvements, aren't weren't like, you know, crazy good this year. Um, so it might behoove us uh, to keep him around. And obviously, I don't think we were planning on the damn one go because, you know, the, you have to weigh what happened early in the year versus what happened late in the year. And, and def- there def- definitely have to be changes uh, to the scheme or to the approach, but Overall, I think the staff will probably be largely intact. Yeah, and I mean, you know, last year, I think we had we had two departures. Uh, one, uh, Coach Kaufman, that was a surprise. But at the same time, like, it's kind of the product of the system in some ways where, you know, Babers kind of brings, uh, in large part, his guys with him. Um, it's not that these guys don't have any future prospects as, as you know, head coaches or, or getting bigger jobs. It's just that, because they've kind of come together as a package deal for the last like six years now or so, there's not as much mobility. That's not a bad thing for them necessarily. Um, it creates you know job stability and things that you don't normally have um, in a lot of you know power five jobs. But like because of how play calling works, where it's like a three man job, um, because of how the defense works, where it's definitely Brian Ward in charge, but then everybody else has like their really you know, quality uh, recruiting roles underneath that. There, There's enough mechanics in there that really stop anybody, at least I would think anybody else from from going somewhere. And like I said, like Mike Hart was obviously the guy who, who if anyone could have left last year, would have. Kaufman, I think, saw himself as somebody kind of, you know, middle of the road that wasn't going to be able to, to have much mobility on the staff. Um, so it made sense that, that, that he uh, went elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you know, Syracuse isn't necessarily in, in danger of that, like you said. 
Um, what's going to be interesting too is if, if we do see that much turnover with coaches, um, how much it changes next year's approach for kids um, as well as programs. Because obviously, you know, kids talk, um, recruits from big schools will talk to kids kind of coming up in the next class and talk about different staffs and, and different campuses and, and tactics from different coaches. And I, I do think that um, if we see that sort of mass exodus you were referring to, um, you could see right now they're estimating about 75% of kids are probably going to sign early. I think you might see that knock down towards 50 um, if, if things go the way that, that, that people are projecting with assistance. Yeah, I, I think uh, you'll see it even out as we get farther along and we learn a little bit more how these two signing day periods work. Um, obviously, like you have kind of you have you know a different animal with basketball where there are multiple signing periods, but like the basketball recruiting just stretches out so long. There are very few flips. Football is very much its own animal, so we definitely need to get like a couple years in here to to kind of figure out how this is going to go. Versus like you know we we've kind of settled into a rhythm of of the regular February signing day and know exactly how that works out every year. Oh, without a doubt, and yeah, I, I think this is going to be this is going to be interesting. It's going to be informative for fans, informative for the kids, the coaching staffs, and, and us as uh, as writers. I know um, I wasn't until about a month ago planning to really be busy for this. Now I'm planning to be very busy. Um, I'm sure you are as well, covering things from a national perspective. <laughs> yeah, that's the day before I like go away for Christmas, so that's going to be a heck of a day. Yeah, I. Uh, I'm, luckily, I'm in uh, Southern California for Christmas this year. Otherwise, uh, travel thrown in there would not uh, would not be ideal for me. Um, but yeah, enough about our vacation plans. I guess we can uh, we can talk about just kind of what's been going on with Syracuse's uh, football roster over the last week or so. Um, I know since the end of November, we've lost four players to transfer. Um, some of them not ideal, especially I'd say Caden Samuels. Would you agree? Is probably the the most troublesome departure of those four yeah because he you know was was a pretty decent player and and with really the the trend with a lot of these guys are they're coming from positions of uh depth uh positions that we don't have super great depth at uh db and defensive line um so it's not ideal um i don't begrudge any kid for leaving because at the end of the day they have to do what's right for them um but from the syracuse perspective uh i would say it's not great yeah definitely uh I could deal with the DBs leaving if only because they weren't getting much playing time. And we have so many recruits coming in um, at those spots and guys who redshirted this year. I wasn't as worried, um, but I, I was a lot more worried about Samuels leaving because defensive tackle is just not a position we really have much depth at. Uh, we kind of moved Kenny Ruff over there. It seems like we moved Josh Black in there. Uh, we currently don't have any uh, defensive linemen um, committed, which is worrying and we only have three spots left and i don't really see us making a huge push towards any high school level kids doesn't mean we can't make a juco um or two addition and if we do add any uh, junior college players i would assume we see uh we, we see those positions addressed more than anything else um but on the positive end of things uh we have seen you know four players uh commit over well since last friday um including three who were on campus um, this uh, this past weekend, so I, I think I like the momentum here. I don't think any of them were like these, you know, enormous enormous names, but I think all of them filled really great, really big needs, um, and and were kind of sleepers in the class. I think you know, look at a guy like Dre Cisco, um, who's over at IMG Academy. Like he's somebody who, who kind of you know sits as a sleeper. I think uh, Carlos Vettorello too, who committed. Um, this week, I think he's another guy who he had offers from from a lot of different places, Oregon, Oregon State, Minnesota, a um, bunch of other kind of, you know, bottom half of the Big Ten, Pac-12, um, all the MAC. A lot of different uh, programs seem to be interested in him. It was great to get, you know, kind of our fifth offensive line and really have a strong class. I think, you know, this group is is definitely... This is going to be like the 2015 class where we had four offensive linemen. I think this class, however, is going to be significantly better, um, if only because we have, you know, two blue chippers in there. While last time we had, you know, some great players like Cody Conway, um, Aaron Roberts was in that group. But uh, the fact that we have, you know, two kind of four-star players in uh, Kadir White and Tyrone Sampson, I think, makes this year's uh, offensive line class uh, significantly, significantly better and, and, and really, really helps what Babers wants to do going forward on offense. Yeah, it really seems like when Babers got here, he identified the O-line as like 
maybe the number one concern because he's they've been recruiting the hell out of the offensive line um, between last year's class and this year's. Um, and then obviously this year we saw a lot of progression with that unit. So I think the future of the O-line is, is pretty bright. Um, obviously getting a, a kid like Veterello, um, we recruited, we've recruited Detroit very well in this. Uh, less, I, I mean, less few cycles. I mean, going way back is uh, Veterello. did pretty well. And then Schaefer, I don't remember as much, but it's been, it's been like a sneaky, like hotbed for us um, because it, it, it kind of goes under the radar. Obviously Michigan, Michigan state will look there, but it, it, it doesn't get the same attention that, like, different Ohio towns get or even, like, some of the, you know, even Chicago, I think, gets a little more attention. Detroit mm-hmm. produces some pretty good players. Well, we've got now, I think, some solid pipelines at Cast Tech over at uh, Detroit Jesuit, like, where, uh, where Vetterello's from and where uh, Paris Bennett went. Like, now we have these, I mean, we've had, I think, I think there's a Cast Tech kid in this year's class, too. We might have, like, three straight years of cast tech players i, I don't mean, think we have a cast tech kid this year but we get kids from there like every other year or so yeah i know zach morton was from there and so was um i forgot who the other one was but i'm sure you kids out of there since like maroon was here yeah um, i remember like a handful. oh and tim walton yes tim walton. I, I was struggling because their names are so similar <laughs> yeah i mean i i think detroit's a great area for us uh michigan in general was a really big uh hot spot for us last cycle this cycle not as much but um, this year's class is interesting just in terms of, you know, where they're coming from, um, where we've really focused our, our time and energy. Like I said, you know, five offensive linemen. Um, in this one, we got four linebackers, three defensive backs, um, two running backs that we might be pursuing a third, which would be interesting. Um, I'm not sure how that will go. Uh, and they've shown like the willingness to, to kind of move people around too. So right. I think, I think they, they were probably looking more towards just like athletes than, you know, aggressively targeting specific guys for running back. But True. like, so I could see us taking a third running back with the knowledge that we might end up moving him to receiver or, you know, somewhere in the slot. Although the third running back is a four star who's currently like locked in with USC. Yeah. I mean, well, then he's probably running back. Yeah. yeah then he's probably, <laughs> he's probably whatever he wants to be. <laughs> yeah. Play quarterback. I don't really care. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, speaking of quarterback, I guess we don't have a quarterback um, currently in the fold. Um, Dan, do you think we're going to add one? I would think no. Uh, you don't think the Boise State decommit might? Uh, I thought I had some thoughts about it, but I feel like BYU and Iowa, from everything I've read, have pushed pretty hard, and that's been kind of what, at least what I from what I've read, seems to be what created the uh, decommit. Okay, well, yeah, I, that was the only guy I really I could really think of. Um, we haven't really aggressively gone after quarterbacks in this class. Well, um, that's at the beginning a... of the class anyway. Let's yeah. like, since about, I think we kind of gave up on that dream around like mid July, August. And honestly, I don't think it's a huge deal. Cause like, you know, you ideally, I think like to take one every year, but um, with uh DeVito redshirting, I think it, you know, you can get by without a quarterback in this class. You can probably take two uh, next year, the year after and, and make up for it. Yeah. And, and I'm completely fine with that. And I kind of, you know, I said that in, a couple of the recruiting articles lately have said that on Twitter as well. Like, it'd be nice to have a quarterback, but I don't want to waste a roster spot. I mean, we saw that with, with with some players, you know, on the roster of just, yeah, it would have been great to have. Like, Mahoney's a, a, an interesting case, a weird case, but, like, if we were going to end up going with Culpepper for the most part as Dungy's primary backup this year, no, it didn't hurt anything at the end of the day, but having having a scholarship tied up in a player who might not necessarily play much if at all um especially when you like willingly kind of opt into that situation um with a couple years to go in his career definitely doesn't um it doesn't help build depth and doesn't necessarily you know translate to um i guess the 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 sort of quarterback depth that you'd be looking for in particular um and i'm just talking about the quarterback position here more than anything else i i think that you know, because a couple guys were saying in the comments and stuff that, you know, we really need a quarterback, and I, I just don't buy it. I think that, you know, taking up a roster spot with a guy who's maybe like a low three-star at this point, because you and I have talked about this for years now, especially once, like, we were in on the conversation with, with DeVito, is there's not as much change in terms of quarterbacks um, and where they're committed to, so there's really little point to... Um, going after you're like trying to flip guys because especially you know some of the top guys because you're, you're not probably not going to do it no matter who you are um, most teams only take one quarterback per cycle um, quarterbacks all talk to each other they 
probably all at Elite 11 and other, you know, camps like that. All these guys know where the other ones are going and all of them know, um, want to know that they're the number one option for the, the school they're going to. So unless we get, you know, maybe I know there's that, uh, that one four-star kid who a couple SU staffers followed from Arkansas. I saw he's still out there. And there's a couple other blue chippers still out there, but um, based on what I what we know of Babers, I don't necessarily think that he'd be one to to sign up for another dual threat after the uh, after the Eric Dungey experience. Yeah, if you're if you're SU, I think if there's a blue chip kid that you really think you can get without like really throwing like you know wasting a ton of time on him, I, I think you go for it. Um, but overall, I, I I'm not overly concerned about missing a quarterback in this class. The only spot where it could become an issue is if. You know, we have senior Dungy this year. Uh, it sounds like Culpepper will still be here, which is good. I think he's very serviceable. Um, I think if Culpepper decides to leave for his senior year, uh, and then you only have Dungy and potentially, what, like two freshmen behind him or whatever, that could be a tricky spot. Yeah, I mean... De- the- DeVito, I meant DeVito, not Dungy. That's what I figured. I, I mean, I, I could be fine with it. I, I think that... I mean, yeah, ideally, if you don't... I, I think you bank on Culpepper staying for now. Um, just because there's there's no telling what happens for his career or DeVito's yet. Um, That's true. There's no like guarantee that DeVito is step. I mean, we all assume he he everything we've heard about him is is great. Um, but there's good. no guarantee he he steps right in and starts as a as a redshirt sophomore. Like I, I think that'll probably happen, but you can't bank on it. And I think Culpepper showed enough where like if if he made strides, I wouldn't be like too concerned if the staff was like, no, he's the best guy right now. Although I saw that video of DeVito the other night. Oh, he was dropping some dimes. But I, yeah, I, it's still I practice. DeVito to be the guy. Yeah, it's still practice, yeah, but, but but that downfield accuracy is like nothing to, to scoff at. And that's what we that's what we saw from him as a recruit. Like that's right. you know, what what everyone got super excited about. That's why he was what, number two in the Elite Eleven? Um kid can throw it. Like he's he's probably the best pure passer we've had here, I who even knows since when, like because, you know, most of our great quarterbacks were more dual-threat guys, option guys. Um, I guess dual-threat wasn't really a thing. They were, like, option-based quarterbacks who could throw the ball downfield. Right. Um, yeah, DeVito might be, like, the best pure passer we've had in a long time. Now, that doesn't always translate. You see guys in the NFL with, like, giant arms that are terrible. Um, but, you know, the kid had a, has a pretty pretty good uh, resume behind him. So I'm excited to see what he can do uh, come spring, and, and hopefully we can get him some time next year. Yeah, I mean, I remember because I saw him down here at the Elite 11, like, regional event in L.A., um, and, I mean, he won the accuracy contest that day, but I, I think he even looked better in that video, and I'm sure, you know, spending a year at this point with, uh, with the college training and conditioning staff and, and the coaching staff there has only made him better. I, I agree with you. I think that we, we probably end up seeing DeVito um, as the primary backup next year and then the starter for 2019, but uh, that's not to sell Rex Culpepper short. I think if we, if for 2019 we end up with the two of them and a true freshman, um, and then you know the true freshman's uh, in case of emergency break glass guy, um, and then we also have uh, Clayton Welch, who's the uh, the walk on sitting around if if need be. I'm I'm fine with all that. I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to get too worked up about QB depth um, when we're doing such a great job addressing the offensive line, which I think is what was our biggest problem with QB depth in recent years. Yeah, I think that's legit. And and obviously you can't like just guarantee that you're going to uh they're going to, you know, have this perfect quarterback situation every year. I think Syracuse had a really good one this year and we, we needed it because uh of injuries and, and obviously the you know, the dungeon injury and then wanting to see what we had at Cole Pepper but you know, after a couple of your games Mahoney. But um overall I'm 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 not gonna freak out about not getting it. Same here. Um, so, Dan, if you had to guess, uh, right now this class, I think, is, what, 37th, 38th, according to the 37 and 7th in the ECC. I will take that. Uh, I would sign for that right now. Every single year. <laughs> At least until we keep winning, and then in that case, I want more. Because that's how fandom works. Um, Dan, where do you think we finish up? Um, I, I, without looking at like the teams just ahead of us, I know there are some like Alabama is is up to nine now, but they only have fourteen commits. Um, there are a couple other teams like uh, that are uh, I'm sure lurking right behind us that only have a, a couple of commits right now. Um, Florida State only has nine, and I'm sure Willie Taggart's gonna go uh, crazy over the next couple of weeks. Coach every um, single player from the Oregon recruiting staff. Uh, no, recruiting he's class. Take, like I think they had 
three or four Florida kids, I would I would bet three three of them end up at Florida State, if not yeah. all four. Um, Tennessee, who knows with Pruitt, but he had a big commitment today. He only has eleven kids. He's behind us. Um, Iowa only has fourteen. They don't really recruit at like a crazy different level than we do. Right. Um, but there are a couple of schools, so I think we'll end up sliding a little bit. But I think it's I find it hard to think that we won't finish at least in like the high the low forties, which is such a big step forward for where this program was, where every year, even when we seem like we were building a pretty, you know, class that would be around where we are now, we'd end up sliding into, like, the, you know, at best, like, the 52, 53 range. Um, I'd be surprised if we were below, like, 42 or 43 at this point, and there's a chance if we land one of these, like, the big late guys that we're targeting, who, which, you know, who knows if we get any of them, but, um, or if, you know, you just fill, fill a class with three more solid, like, three-star guys, you know, we could hang around and be around 37, 38 at the end, which is... Again, just a tremendous, tremendous step forward. Well, also um, super impressive when we wouldn't even have it wouldn't be you know a volume based uh, not volume based at all. And coming off of like two mediocre years out of context and a pretty disappointing finish, like there wasn't a lot working for us here. This was just the the, the staff did a really good job without being aided by much. Yeah, and I mean, I think everyone bought in. You saw the last two weekends, um, the first weekend of December. They had like a lot of the you know locked in kids plus Dre Cisco and I think maybe one or two other un, uh, like uncommitted guys, but in with Samson, Kadir White, I think uh, Anthony Queeley, a couple of the other kids were all in there, um, which I thought was a great tactic to help sell the program a little bit. Um, then this past weekend, I think they had a couple of the other um, committed kids plus a lot of uh, non committed and like we mentioned. Uh, three of them ended up um, verbally committing uh, between the weekend and uh, and Monday. So uh, I don't know what the schedule looks like the rest of December. I would assume we're probably past official visits at this point. But uh, uh, there, there's some kids that are taking final official visits like this coming weekend. I don't know if any are coming to Syracuse, right. but there are some kids who are making like last minute official visits if they're you know before they decide on the twentieth. And also, uh, 24-7, like, that was their composite ranking. Their, like, regular, just their rankings that isn't combined with Stout and Rivals and ESPN has us up at 30th. Um, yeah. They're, they're very high on our players. Uh, I think um, our only composite four-star guy is Tyrone Sampson, but I'm pretty sure 24-7 has both Kadir White and Trillian Williams at uh, four stars on their own rankings. But then not Sampson. So, yeah, oh, yeah, and they don't have that, which is weird. Um, but either way, like, so there, there's a little bit of variance, but... Overall, like this is just um, a very, very impressive class, and very excited to hopefully get almost all of them signed on the twentieth. Agreed. We come today. I know we. Uh, I know we're already getting the uh, the posts done about all of those guys um, this week, so we can have that ready to go. Um, let me switch focus to beer, and then we can talk Georgetown, which is probably what a lot of people are here to listen about. Cool. Um, I actually had some new stuff this week. Um, I said last week I had some some craft stuff lying around in my fridge, and I've gotten to most of it, um, all from the farmhouse brewing in a uh, brewery in Owego, who which I had not had before. This like haul of stuff I picked up um, slash was brought by a friend who went up there. Um, but they so basically their thing is that they use like far, local farmed like vegetables and stuff to make pretty interesting beers. Um, the first one I had was the Cuke Skywalker, uh, I guess pretty appropriate for this weekend, um, which is a cucumber goza, um, sour, which was, was really, t- I mean, I, you know, find it hard to not like a good sour. Um, this one, like you could, you could really tell the cucumber flavor was there, but it, it actually kind of helps that it's not like a super aggressive flavor. Um, I think it worked well, uh, super drinkable, really enjoyed it. Um, really refreshing. Uh, then I had their their Mama Maple Llama, which is I believe a stout. No, it might have been a porter. No, it's a porter. Um, I had this the other night. Uh, didn't get like a ton of the maple notes in there. I, admittedly, the, when I had it, it had already been cracked and it probably wasn't the most fresh. So I I don't want to like uh, totally not give it to you. It was definitely very boozy at like ten point two percent. You could tell. Um, I'm also not a huge porter drinker, but. Uh, yeah, you know, it was it was pretty good. Um, I don't generally love porters, and and this wasn't like a ton different. But um, I also should probably try to get it fresher next time. Uh, and then tonight, I am currently drinking their tomato basil saison. Hmm. And admittedly, I don't get a lot of the tomato or the basil, um, but it's just a really good saison without that. <laughs> like it just uh, it's super. 
Um, I almost get more like clovey, like kind of like what you get from like a Belgian uh, white more than anything else. Um, but it, it's like it's really good outside of like maybe not nailing the flavors they were going for. Interesting. I've had I've had a basil saison uh, from I think at Full Steam down in uh, down in Durham in the Durham area, but I don't think uh, tomato basil sounds a bit aggressive. But if it doesn't taste like it, I guess I'm a little less uh, averse. Yeah, if you told me this was just like a say, I mean, I didn't really like grade it out any differently. It just tastes really good. But uh, if you had just told me this was like regular saison, I would be like, yeah, this is a good saison. Fair enough. Um, on my end, didn't have a lot of different stuff. Um, had a fat tire. Had a, I grabbed, I went up to the mountains over the weekends. So I had uh, Sierra Nevada's um, holiday variety pack that they created. So I had their Holiday Haze IPA, which is really just a hazy version of Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, in my opinion. Um, had their Winter Tide, um, kind of like spiced winter warmer that they made. Um, went over to uh, Big Bear Mountain Brewing. Had uh, their Little Beaver IPA. Um, and then I had just Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. So nothing crazy. Uh, pretty subdued weekend for me. Um I don't know what's the deal lately. I guess I just uh, I have not been as adventurous as I normally am. Yeah, I'm not sure when the next time we'll do this. I, I hopefully we can have like a post signing day show at some point. I'll be down in Atlanta um, from Thursday on, from Thursday to Tuesday. So uh, if we don't speak before I go down there, hopefully we'll have some southern southern beers to report back on uh, whenever we speak next, unless it is next Wednesday, in which I guess I will still be up here. Fair enough either way. I, uh, I'll i be in Orange County, so I will... Well, I won't be next week either yet, so just really depends on what I drink this weekend. I got a half fridge full of stuff and plan on going out at least one night this weekend, so probably end up adding something to the uh, the old untapped list. Good. So I think that's a big problem for me. I, like, I've, I've, I've hit like a lot of the resources where I usually get uh, new stuff um, a lot, so I just haven't run into as many new things. Um, but hopefully, you know, we will we'll be able to rectify the situation going forward. Fair, fair. Yeah, I uh, see. I'm not sure how much new beer the next like month or two are going to bring for me between um, you know just the holidays. Like, if you're not like hanging out with friends much, you're not really going to see a ton of new beers. I usually just bring my own to family gatherings. Um, then in January, I'm going to be in Italy for a little bit, um, and they actually do have a burgeoning beer scene, but we'll see how much of it's, like, uh, rave-worthy. Yeah, also, I feel like in Italy, like, you just have to drink wine, so... Oh, that's what my wife thinks. I already told her. I'm, uh, I already scouted out a couple breweries. We are... I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear, uh, just I've never heard anything about Italian beer, but... You know what? Aaron actually has some good things to say about, like, some of their IPAs. Um, I'm not, like, going to be, like actively searching for stuff it's just more I, I, see. yeah like i id'd a beer bar near our hotel in rome and another one another couple near our hotel in florence and i know a couple of breweries of like just that just have stuff that's supposed to be good so uh again we'll, we'll uh we'll see what comes of that i might just end up drinking wine if the uh the early parts of the trip aren't really yielding any uh any quality beer Fair. I'm, I'm super curious to see what you find. Yeah, I will, I will have a report in uh, late January. Anyway, um, Dan, we're facing uh, Georgetown on Saturday. This, uh, this used to be more important. Now it doesn't really feel like it matters. I will say, and this is the last bit of credit I'm going to give Georgetown on anything <laughs> today, Georgetown's really pushing for this to be like important, and I, I appreciate that. They, they are. They are, they are way more into it than I, we are, and I don't think that speaks great of us. Um, we just have a lot more stuff going on. And this is the first game they've had this year. They are 0-0. They, they have not played any teams that uh, have a player over 6'3". Um, they're flirting with like the worst RPI. That's not true. I assume they have. But they are, they're legitimately, they're 8-0, but they are still somehow flirting with, like, one of the worst RPIs in all of college basketball, despite being undefeated, um, which is all you need to know about the schedule that Georgetown put together. And honestly, considering that they, they did this intentionally, I'm almost impressed by how well they, they, got, they hit their objective. I mean, this is, we've talked about this a little bit before, this is, this is utter garbage. 
Um, I'm looking. I'm looking at the now. I'm I know way too many. All right, so it's actually not that crazy. I I can name all eight schools just based on the three letter like abbreviations. Um, I thought at first I might not be able to get JAC, but I was I had it right. It was Jacksonville. Um, let's just go through the schedule here. Jacksonville, Mount St. Mary's, Maryland Eastern Shore, the the daring road trip to Richmond, <laughs> uh, where they won by where they won by six, and then Maine, Coppin State, Howard, and North Carolina A and T. Yeah, so. That's a that is an all star non conference schedule. Some of those teams are so bad that we have not talked about them in our now weekly segment of of talking about low major teams for no reason that no one inter- no one's interested in. Probably not. Also, do I don't they think you've brought do, up any of these schools? Do they not have enough non conference games? They still have North Texas. They have Alabama A and M. Then they have well, no, then that's it. I think that's. <laughs> do they like forget to schedule enough non conference games? They just stopped. They couldn't find any more RPI plus 300 teams and just stopped. Um, yeah, because this only gets them to 11. And they have 18 Big East games. To the Big East? The Big East didn't bump up to, like, to the Big Ten did, right? The Big Ten's up to, they added up to three games. I think the two. Big Ten's up to 20. I mean, we'll be up to 20 um, in a couple of years. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know what, like, for, for them, there's only 10 teams. So it makes sense to just do the round robin, well, the double round robin. Um, with 18 games, I don't. Yeah, I don't really understand why. Why they only scheduled get, 11 non-conference games? Yeah, we've talked about this before. I get what they were doing. They wanted to ease Patrick Ewing in, and uh, they probably saw what happened with like Chris Mullen in his first year. Aside from beating us, um, it was really ugly. And St. John's is just starting to turn around now. Um, so I get they wanted to get Patrick Ewing like his sea legs. I totally understand that. We thought, you know, coming from the perspective that we have with the football program, which obviously the two sports are very different and the schedule is very different. But that being said, they basically made it so hard for them to even like sniff the NCAA tournament unless they go crazy in the Big East. Like you would think they would have scheduled like one more decent game. Yeah. Or just like actually filled out the rest of your non-conference schedule. Yes. Or yeah, finish the schedule. Like you're missing two games. They basically punted on any chance of the NCAA tournament unless they like win the Big East tournament or finish like top three in the Big East. Which, based on what they scheduled, I don't think they have a lot of confidence in that. (laughs) I don't think they think they're very good. Um, No, like this could. I can't tell you what Georgetown is. This could honestly be like a 19 win team that doesn't even sniff an at large bid. This would be a 19 win team that doesn't make the NIT. Right. I don't know how, how I mean NIT might just bring them because they're a name, right. but like man, like and, and again, this isn't even like trying to shit on Georgetown for for that for being Georgetown. Just looking realistically like, at like what their prospects are. If anything, like if if this was anybody, this is hilarious. Um, and this is like they backed out of the PK eighty, um, which was like the most aggressive part of this whole thing. Like literally, their second biggest non conference name is at Richmond, and I'm shocked they did that and they won by six. So good for them. I don't even know if Richmond's good this year. They're occasionally uh, good. I don't think they are. I think they're actually pretty bad. Actually, they were one and five when they played. Richmond is now two and eight. Two and eight with with their wins over UAB, Go Blazers, and uh, James yeah. Madison by three. They've lost to UL Lafayette this year and Jacksonville State by thirty three. Oh my god! Good lord, Richmond trounced by Cincinnati. <laughs> they got beat by Vermont. They got destroyed by a, what looks like a pretty bad Wake Forest team. They got beat by 19 by ODU, which I don't even know. I, I, I couldn't tell you if I've ever seen an ODU basketball game. Oh, man. So Richmond's terrible, which they're not always, but they are this year. And Georgetown happened to find them as, like, their 1A10 team. And only one by six. And one by six. I think winning this game might hurt our RPI. Can we ditch this game? Can we get rid of it? <laughs> actually, <laughs> not, not show up? <laughs> I actually joked with... Uh... With uh, Andrew over at a Casual Hoya when I was answering their Q and A this week, I was like, "This game is stupid. Like, I don't. This game doesn't do anything for us right now. Like, if you guys get better down the road, sure. Like, this game becomes relevant again. But if, if Georgetown is going to be this deplorable, either from a optic standpoint or a pure resume standpoint, like this, this game only serves to hurt us. Yeah, like we we." <laughs> The, the Syracuse enemy wants Georgetown to, like, lose every Big East game, but then they're legitimately going to be one of the worst teams on our on our, our ledger. And we're going to, you know, I think right now we're looking at, like, you know, a flirting with an NCAA tournament bid type year, assuming 
you know, we don't get a lot better during the course of the year, which should happen. But right now, I'd say we're, like, probably a bubble team um, based on, like, how the team's looked. Yeah, we're, like, a 10 seed. How, yeah, uh, which I, I think we all, it, you know, thought that would be a pretty decent thing for us going in. Um, so having this, like, Georgetown weight uh, around our neck that was because it's our it's our historic rival and we want to play them and we want to play them every year. It's good to keep it going. I'm very I'm a big fan that we're playing all these teams from the Big East. But man, like Georgetown, you got to be just halfway a little bit. Like you can't be this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what quote unquote this entails. Um, and then hopefully that doesn't mean they're going to beat us. That would be so embarrassing. That would be the worst. For for those listening, you've probably seen the article already. I have it scheduled right now, though Wednesday night. Um, just talking about everything Georgetown's doing to get people to come to this game. And if you look around Ticketmaster, there's just so many tickets left, like like ridiculous amounts of tickets left. If you're in the D.C. area or li- literally anywhere near um, D.C., Northern Virginia, or Maryland, just go to this game. There is no one going to this game. It ends up that starting 8-0 against a bunch of scrubs does not get anyone in the door for Georgetown basketball. Um, well, to, to be fair, people... Did door that no one was doing and going the door for Georgetown basketball to begin with. Like the basketball program doesn't draw unless we're going. This is true. Um, but yeah, Syracuse they... is the biggest draw for Georgetown basketball. <laughs> it is. They uh, they're giving away it looks like a hundred onesies for uh, the uh, the toddler Georgetown fan in training for for you if you wanted to threaten your children with Georgetown. You, you know, well, toddlers can't grasp uh, like intricate uh, metrics like RPI or failure. Or failure. They don't know well enough yet. Yeah, so there's that. Um, I saw that they are not serving orange products in the lunch uh, halls. I actually kind of love that. That's, I, actually, that's actually clever. Uh, it's super clever. They're not serving orange juice in like the dining hall for a week, which if I'm a normal Georgetown uh, student, which means I don't give a crap about this basketball team, um, and I like orange juice, I'm like kind of a I, I, I am livid. <laughs> but as a sports fan... Even though it is my rival team, I appreciate this move. Yeah, I respect it. Um, they also are offering a chance for donations with your ticket to win a uh, a jersey autographed by um, the Bulldog, which is... Who, who cares? Well, what, who wants Jack? Is it the actual dog or the mascot? No, the actual dog. All right, that's better. I mean, is it, though? It's a pop. I'd rather have the actual dog than the stupid... I'd just rather... Just, just, how about the Hall of Fame player who's your goddamn coach <laughs> yeah or you can do that that would make sense <laughs> like, or go find alan iverson at like a casino somewhere like you can make this happen I'm like sure, we, i'm sure big john's lurking somewhere on campus like, he definitely is big john's always lurking that's all he does big john's only lurked for years like just just have big john sign 10 towels and then like just give those away to whoever donates the most money with their ticket like when i when i was like a sophomore at syracuse and we tried to do this like auto's army point system the first time that no one knew about and, like, we didn't market it nearly well enough, and it was kind of a failure. We got such better prizes than this for a thing that didn't work. <laughs> like, we got, like, autographed Floyd Little stuff. Yeah, You, got, you is... got Jack the Bulldog to sit on, step on some ink? Cool. I, I doubt they even do it. They probably just have a paw print, like, stamp. Probably. And, yeah, and meanwhile, like, the whole reason that we're, we're even doing all this is that your head coach is Patrick Ewing, who, you know, good for you giving him the job. Like, yeah, have him sign some stuff. He has to. Yeah, this doesn't really seem that hard. Um, they the the one reason people might actually show up though has nothing to do with Georgetown. Um, ends up the Red Panda is going to be there now. That's the best thing they've done. Yeah, that's the best thing they've done. Uh, as I joked on Twitter, uh, Georgetown is now the third most talented uh, group that will be on the uh, <laughs> that will be on the court. To be fair, Red Panda might be number one. Red I don't Panda know probably how is number on this one. Basketball team, I am. I, I just I think we're probably okay, but Red Panda's just so good. Red Panda. I've seen Red Panda a couple times because I've just lucked out um, at a couple different, um, both Warriors and either Clippers or Kings. I think no Clippers. There's no way she did it on the ice. Um, but yeah, I think I've lucked out at, at like at least two Warriors and/or Clippers games. I think I've seen her twice. I think I've seen her. I think I think she did a I think she did a Big East tournament game once that I was at uh, that SU was in, and then I think I was covering uh, UConn Cincinnati maybe or UConn Providence um, at the Excel Center a couple years ago, and I think she did that. It's mesmerizing. She's amazing. Right. You you've just it, I know it's like become like she's she's almost turned into like Little Sebastian from Parts and Rec whenever she does a game and people on Twitter freak out, but like <laughs> um, it, it's she's amazing. She's just so good at her craft. Yeah, I. Uh, when I, didn't she retire a couple years ago? And people lost their minds, and then she unretired. Maybe. 
I think that happened. I can't remember fully. I, I have much respect to Red Panda. Um, but yeah, they. Uh, you know who else seems pretty thirsty about this rivalry? Uh, the Big East Twitter handle. Oh, I haven't seen that. The Big I don't East... follow the Big East Twitter handle. I, I don't either, but I was... I don't follow any of the major Twitter, hand, Twitter no, handles. Why would you? Um, actually, no, I do follow the Mac. Because, no, the Mac's fun. Because they're fun, and uh, a bunch of their media relations people actually follow me. Also, I just <laughs> said that completely like... I wasn't even trying to, to uh, you know, I was I was completely ignoring the fact that we do a, a preview for, like, every uh, <laughs> major college football conference every single year, and then I watch, like, a lot of those games. So that was just, that was off-brand for me, and it wasn't even, like, a, well, uh, just poor, poor job by me. But no, I don't follow Big East. And yes, it is a mid-major. Um, yeah, they, uh, they, they've been all over the BeatQ's hashtags. It's like, they're considering this, like, a conference victory thing. Like, they're really still jilted by this whole uh, ACC thing. Why, that we made the most obvious move possible? Yeah, like the, the only move that made sense for a school that also plays football. Be mad at Miami. Like, we didn't start this. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't actually, you wouldn't get really mad. You'd blame SEC back in 1992. Yeah, blame Arkansas and South, and South Carolina. Yeah, I get pissed at them. Um, let's talk about this actual game, though, instead of just like the, uh, all, all the, the, the nonsense around it for, for, for us from a fan perspective. Um, I don't really know what to make of Georgetown as a team, like from player per, by player perspective, because they face so many like really terrible opponents. Um, I'm assuming that uh, Jesse Govan is actually good. I don't know how good. Um, He's putting no, up huge numbers. So yeah, I, I twenty point six points out. per game, thirteen rebounds. Those are big numbers. Um, he's hitting. He hasn't really shot a lot of threes, but um, he's hit seven of twelve. Um, so he, yeah, he, he, it's enough where you can't leave him alone. But, like, that's the case. That's the problem. Like, I brought this up on the, like, brief preview thing I did. Like, that's really the case with all of these guys. Like, the first six guys in the rotation, um, all of them have taken at least 12, you know, at least 11 threes. Um, and everybody's hit something between 32 and 58% of them, which is, like, terrifying. Again, like, they've played such a ridiculous schedule that. And Govan's been easy. five inches taller than anybody on any opposing team. Pretty much. Like, it's just impossible to know how good they are. And they might be pretty decent. Who knows? We'll find out. Um, and we, you know, clearly based on the Colgate game, like, we could easily just play down to them and then we still won't know. But um, you, you want to give them the better for the doubt and assume they're not terrible. But there's a reason they made the schedule. Um, it's because they didn't have a lot of faith in this roster. Uh, so I assume Govan's pretty good. Um, Derrickson, Johnson, like, basically they have seven guys that play uh, every game. Um, it's between 17 and 31 minutes. Um, so it's not a huge rotation. It's not really anything different than what Syracuse is not doing. They're pretty long, I will say. Um, like Caleb Johnson, I think is 6'6 at the dart spot. Uh, I was looking at these before, um, and now I'm opening individual tabs, which is not the most efficient way to do this. Uh, Marcus Derrickson, 6'7. So like they have some length, which maybe will bother us a bit, but we're not, we're not a very good shooting team as is, so I don't, I don't know if it actually will have that giant an impact. Um, overall, like, I don't know, it's really hard to evaluate this team because they just haven't given us, like, much to go on here. Yeah, they haven't given us much to go on. There's just a lot of... There's too many questions. Obviously, the fact that, like, they're a bigger team that, uh... It looks like everyone in the rotation is, like, at least, like, 6'4". So that's a pretty big team. Yeah, they're a bigger team, but they've also faced so many smaller teams. That, like, I mean, it's the same thing with some of SU's earlier numbers. Uh, that obviously aren't going to translate. Uh, but the one thing that has translated for SU has been um, rebounds, no matter who we face. Um, and Syracuse is still bigger than Georgetown. Yeah, and Syracuse is still significantly bigger than Georgetown and everybody um, from a size perspective. We are the tallest team in the country, uh, which is pretty cool. I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with that. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm pleased with it because we're seeing the results. Um, if we weren't seeing results... Um, indicative of being the tallest team in the country, I would definitely be uh, much less thrilled uh, about that fact. Um, but anyway, I think they're going to give us some fits early because I think they're going to try to shoot threes as, as many opponents have this year um, just to see kind of like how, how much they can extend the zone and, and what the zone can actually uh, defend. Um, obviously, teams have really, you know, the... The Messiah, Jack Ferguson, as we predicted, um, went off last week. And... <laughs> that was, I forgot about that. We predicted it, and, like, it was, you know, 
obviously this isn't the first or second or third time this has happened, but like it was kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, you know, we didn't expect him to draw for what like twenty six points or whatever it yeah. was. Like I assume that he would probably hit some threes because this always happens. But come on, like really? Yeah, it's, it's like Jack Ferguson gets so mad about about the jokes that he just decided he was going to punish us. Um, and yeah, he uh, if he was able to do that, I feel like Georgetown's definitely going to try to do similar things. Extend the zone a little bit, jack up some threes. Um, again, it's hard to say because most of these guys have a lower volume of shots, um, how adept they really are as three-point shooters. Um, I would probably keep an eye on Caleb Johnson um, most of all, though Jamarco Pickett seems like he's a volume guy, just not hitting right now, um, and that could potentially come and bite us. He's 12-37. He's taken the most threes by uh, six on the team. Uh, Javon Blair has also taken 31. So the two players that have taken more than 33s. Um, and they are not hitting at a rate that you would usually want volume three-point shooters to take. But um, hopefully, again, that SU's length, which is significantly more than any opponent they face so far, um, is able to shut that uh, sort of thing down. I think if we can... I think we kind of have to choose one. It's either you you know, stop Govan and, and get beat from three... Or you let Govan beat you and you defend the three. Um, I don't necessarily think this team's capable of, of, of stopping both um, tactics for Georgetown. Yeah, I, I would probably rather not uh, just let them have whatever they want from three, even if we're not totally sure on how well they'll shoot the ball, just because like that's how you get, you know, you, you have a couple minutes where you are lax defending the three and, and you find yourself behind by 12 um, versus like, We've seen Syracuse do up like huge totals to centers before and be fine. So, and we do have to like I don't know if do we know what Sidibe's uh, status is going to be? I, I know uh, he's. I don't know, but I really hope that he's like I, I would be fine as long as like as long as the game isn't like in the balance in the second half. I'd be fine with not seeing him on Saturday and just having him heal up for ACC play. Yeah, I'm just a little worried about um, about Shukru getting in foul trouble, which will. Um, which will probably happen no matter what, but if we had both of those guys to throw at Govan, I would feel uh, a little better about it, because um, I think they're both pretty competent defenders, um, and that could give him problems, and we wouldn't have to like worry about crashing the zone as much. Um, so that'll be something to watch out for. It seems like his injury's not like that bad, it, but but they are being uh, relatively cautious about it now, because he, he seemed to have aggravated it in that UConn game after... Uh, what, what game was before that that he left early? Um, mm, can't... Was it Kansas that he didn't be originally heard it in? I thought it remember. was Kansas. Yeah, so the thing, the thing I'm looking at now, um, the, the big question is, obviously Patrick Ewing is the first-time head coach, and he's coming from the NBA where he didn't face uh, a lot of, if any, zone defense. Um, his staff is interesting, um, most notably because Lewis Orr is his like main assistant, um, who obviously is a Syracuse guy, um, playing, you know, coaching in... in enemy territory here. Um, he also served as an assistant under Beheim and from 96 to 2000, which is like right when we made the big switch to over to the zone. Um, that 96 team is like the, the final four team that really made the zone like the signature thing. And he was a first year assistant on that team. Um, and then I don't know how much he coached against us at Bowling Green or at Siena, um, but he was the head coach at Seton Hall for, for years uh, while we were Big East rivals with them. So he definitely has some experience against the Syracuse zone and coaching the Syracuse zone. So um, well, I don't know how much, uh, like on hand, like hands on stuff that Ewing himself is doing, um, or it's, is probably a pretty valuable resource for Georgetown attacking the defense. And obviously the sound changes from year to year and, and he hasn't faced it in a while, but, um, that's definitely a, a, an interesting, uh, part of this game. I kind of forgot he was on that staff until today. Yeah, same. I mean, it's definitely a, an, an advantage for them. To have uh, to have anybody with experience in the zone, even if it was a uh, you know not the same exact zone, I think it's changed over time a little bit. But um, having you know quote unquote an expert um, kind of on staff and being able to at least help you simulate some of those elements, other than just you know the typical nonsense that we hear like once a year of you know how to simulate the zone. We just had brooms. We just once we, a year slash like every ESPN broadcast yeah, at some like, point. Just like clips of people just using brooms. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Orr could help them bring this game a little bit closer than maybe we'd like. 
um, because I think they might be a little bit better prepared for the zone than we've seen from any non-conference opponent. Um, they also certainly have a, hadn't, haven't had a lot of else uh, a lot else to, to prep for with these other teams they've played. <laughs> yeah, so they've been prepping they for this game since maybe February. Been working on the zone for like months, and we, you know, that that's pos- that's possible. Like they might have been drilling the zone, uh, attacking the zone defense, like since Ewing got there. I would doubt knowing that this would be the first actual big game they have. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't doubt that for a second. Um, Dan, if you had to give a prediction on this one, what do you think? All right, well, since Syracuse can only score 72 points, um, that is their season average, and that's the, the score that Syracuse has had in its last four wins, I I can't say that we won't score 72 points in this game. Um, I don't think Georgetown is – I assume they're not that good. We actually don't really know. I do think they'll get up for the game. Um, I'll take Syracuse winning 72-61 to 61 and it being probably closer than we like. Well, if you think that's closer than we like, then just wait to hear my prediction. Uh, oh, God. I think that uh, I think that Govan's going to give us some fits. I think they're going to hit some threes um, in the early part of the game before cooling off later. I, I do think that they're going to be able to figure out the zone a little bit early, and then it's going to take some time um, for SU to kind of right itself. Uh, that said, as long as you know Ty's battle's not jacking up threes for no reason, um, and everybody else isn't joining him in the uh, the brick lane party, um, and we're driving the lane, forcing Georgetown next to play some interior defense. Um, I think SU wins. I see us winning sixty eight sixty two um, in a game in an ugly game that will remind a lot of people of um, the the old Big East when uh, when Patrick Ewing would would roam the court for Georgetown. I'm now trying. I'm in an, like an effort to just annoy myself and looking up what our best three point shooting uh, percentage as a team is for a game this year because if it, it can't be over forty percent, right? Like, there's no way we're terrible. Every single. I don't want to like hold us on the line for this, but like I'm now going through. Um, yeah, thirty three percent against Iona. Um, it's really bad. Well, we're just like if we just stop throwing threes, like take the open shot if you're Tyus Battle or like. Maybe Howard, Howard maybe Brissett. Brissett. Like, but everybody else is like, stop it. Yeah, until you prove it. And I know that like part of it's like, how are you going to prove you can shoot them until you do it? But like, I doubt they're really knocking them down in practice. I know Beheim said Brissett is. So I'm, I'm okay with Brissett working on it because like he, you know, him adding a three pointer is important for his development right. and for like defenses having to respect him from out there. Um, and his shot looks fine, so I, I'm not worried about that. Yeah, we're, we haven't even been. I think the the closest I've gotten so far was against uh, Texas Southern. We hit like 37. percent I'm I'm still looking. Um, well, like the, the problem is like all the like shooting too many threes is, is derailing games that should be like well, well, you know, decided. That's the other thing. Is, like, we're shooting a lot of them, and, and we're shooting them like, at like the worst times. Yeah, we're sh- 18. Every game's in like the mid to high teens, if not like the low 20s. And that's just too many. This team can't hit them. Like, uh, I, I know this, this is like modern basketball. I get that. I love three-point shooting. I would love us to be a 40% three-point shooting team. And for us to take more threes than twos, I'm all with it. Um, this just this is not the team for this. <laughs> like, this team shoots under 30% about half the time. Um, I'm out of the Tolgate game. Uh, Tolgate, we were 36%, which is one of our best outings. 7 for 19. If we were 7 for 19 every game, I'd be okay. We're not. We're shooting, like, we were 25% in the UConn game. We almost died out of it from that. Um, there were a couple others where, like, these games have been way too close as we've gotten out of our, like, out of our depth on the offensive side. Um, so just stick with what we're good at. Let Tyus take us off the dribble. Let Howard dribble drive. Uh, let Brissette, like, take advantage of matchups. Try to get the ball to the big guys, like, once in a while when they when they get a, a weird matchup on them. Um but, like, this is going to be Battle, Brissett, and Howard. Those are the three guys. Let them do their thing. Do not force shots. Um, hopefully we can start to, like, understand our strengths a little better because that has been probably the most frustrating thing about this team. The defense has been mostly very good. Um, some lapses here and there. But they did a lot of steals. They're, they're pretty fun to watch on that end. They rebound really well. The, IQ, the basketball IQ on the offensive end just goes into weird uh, spurts of just, like, inanity. And I, I really hope that we can start to solve that as we get closer to the ACC. I would agree. Definitely not ideal, and something. Yeah, maybe we work out against Georgetown. Who knows? We have that. Yeah, if we want to go hit like fifty percent of our threes and bomb Georgetown out of the gym, I'm fine with that. Yeah, although, I, I don't expect it. Yeah, although <laughs> let's not test the theory then. Yeah, let it happen naturally. If right. Happen. Um, all right. Before we go, uh, I want to check in on our friends in the low major department. 
Ooh. So, uh, first... I'm trying to remember who we settled on. Uh, it was LAU, just, Brooklyn, LAU right. Brooklyn, uh, UC Irvine, and uh, it was uh, Loyola Chicago. Yes, we covered covered the three, like, three-thirds of the country. Yeah, we figured that was a, a good group. Since last week, uh, UC Irvine has lost by three to Utah State, at Utah State, which actually isn't that bad. Um, then they lost to UT Rio Grande Valley by 14. So weird that they were able to test Utah State, but then get destroyed by Rio Grande Valley. Um, they've got a few more uh, non-conference games left before uh, Big West play starts. They're facing, oh, they actually had four straight home, uh, away games in here. They're at St. Mary's on Saturday, then they're at Montana, uh, and then they'll host Idaho and New Mexico. Actually, no, Idaho's a neutral game. So Idaho, New Mexico, and then they'll jump into um, Big West play in the new year against UC Davis. Very nice. Uh, LAU Brooklyn, unfortunately, their only game since we last spoke was against the Fairfield Stags. Um, and they lost 76-72. So not looking like your normal LIU Brooklyn Blackbirds. I really wish they had hired Larry Brown, which was a thing that was being considered, apparently. I forgot all about Larry Brown. Uh, Yeah, apparently he interviewed for this job. That's not surprising, I guess, because he's literally coached everywhere, and... I was I was really hoping what happened because it'd be so funny, just watching like old crankety Larry Brown drifting in the NEC for no reason. Like, why are you doing this, Larry? <laughs> who, who, who hurt you? Who hurt you? I think I think he like sold his soul, and he's like he's he's cursed to wander the sidelines for like you know the rest of his life. Like literally, he has to coach a basketball team. Yeah. So Loyola Chicago, and I mean, we, admittedly, we we had some hindsight here. We hitched ourselves to this wagon uh, as it was getting rolling. Um, yeah, we were, we were, I'd say we're still early on the Ramblers train. Yeah, we, we were, this could be the, we discovered, <laughs> we were like, oh wow, this team's 10 and 1, how? <laughs> this could be the new Ramblin' wreck. Um, so Loyola has more votes than we do in the AP poll. Probably not unfair, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, probably not unfair. Um, and then they, <laughs> they are, yeah, and they have one less vote than us in the coaches poll. Um, since we last spoke, um, destroyed Norfolk State. Oh, wrecked. Eighty to fifty-two. I mean, look at that. That's embarrassing. But, uh, granted, Norfolk State zero and nine. Not great. Look at this uh, though. Who, who was Norfolk State player that turned into an NBA player? Oh, uh... that team that had a nice. I think they beat Mizzou in the first round of the tournament. Yeah, the, the, the year that I was in, the year that I was an idiot and I picked Mizzou to win it all. <laughs> How do you ever do that? <laughs> It's uh, it was one of my worst bracket moments, admittedly, um, except for last season when that was the first time. Well, see, apparently, uh, JB Smoove went there. Yeah. Kylo Quinn, Kylo Quinn was the player on that team. Now, uh, now he... New York Knicks great, Kylo Quinn. The fourteen and thirteen New York Knicks. True. Um, yeah, looking like Loyola. Chicago, we Dan, we have ample opportunity to watch the Ramblers. They are on ESPN three um, at bare minimum for each of like the next. Through, through the end of January, every single game is on ESPN3 at the very least. Um, there's two games on ESPNU, uh, both against Northern Iowa. If the Ramblers knock off Northern Iowa in one of these games, this could be a, this this team might have just as good a chance of making the tournament as Syracuse. I think Syracuse probably has a better chance just as like, this team has no at-large hopes. Um, really, though? Because they beat Florida. <laughs> that's true. I mean... They would have to. They would have, they would have Florida, to win though. the regular season, uh, the MVC in the regular season, and then lose to like someone stupid in the turn in the final, and then also have a weak bubble. Yeah, that's the problem. Like th- this doesn't remind me of like that Iona team that was net large a few years back, or like that BYU team, or a couple others. Like this does seem like a team that really needs to to kind of. I mean, they beat Florida obviously, and then like, but they got smoked by Boise. Um, they really have to kind of put you know put their foot on the gas um, once they get into Horizon play. The Horizon. They're MVC. No, MVC. Sorry, that's MVC right. They used to be. In the, they like, used to be in the Horizon. Yeah, they just moved up. They replaced. Yeah. Uh, they replaced Wichita. Wichita. Yeah. Um, which MVC like super interesting lead now because all of these teams have moments. Like I'm looking the other teams in the league: Bradley, Evansville, who was pretty good last year. 
Northern Iowa, who's always pretty good. Valpo, who's often pretty good. Missouri State, not really. Southern Illinois, whatever. Drake, who, you know, he's good here and there. Indiana State's made the tournament a bunch recently. Illinois State's apparently fallen off big time, but they were, like, almost an at-large team last well, year. They were senior, and they were senior-laden last year, and, like, they were... I mean, I even wrote about them last year. Like, they were a fun team. Um, makes sense they dropped off a little bit. I don't know if you've seen the... Uh, you've probably seen this. The uh, Photoshop of Drake's logo with, like, Drake as the Bulldog. Yes, it's great. Yeah, it is, it is excellent. I really wish Drake was better at basketball because that one year they were was kind of fun. Yeah, they were uh, – I, I think like all those teams, except for like maybe Missouri State have made the tournament, and they probably have too. I just haven't remembered it. But yeah, they, they were like they're teams th- that make the tournament, and when they're good, like, they can make some noise. Missouri State is the team that I think has the highest RPI of a team ever left out of the field. Yes. That was like 06, oh, yeah, right, 07? Right, right. Yeah, they had like thir- – I think they had like 30 wins almost. Yeah. Illinois State was similar last year. Agreed. Um, all right. So that's our mid-major update. We'll get more. Well, low-major update. We'll get more to that uh, in the weeks to come. Uh, Dan, it has been a pleasure as always. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me, and and hopefully uh, we get a nice win this weekend and don't have our our worst fears uh, upheld. Please, yes. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Troy Noons as an absolute podcast. You can be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and uh, go orange. Roll Tide. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply.